Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Uh, we're on uh, we're in Numbers. We Last week we finished, or we got most of the way through chapter 20, so we're going to pick up where we left off in Numbers chapter 20. Um, before we start, let me open in prayer. Father God, thank you for the pretty day today. Thank you for uh, taking care of us this past week. Thank you for looking after us. Thank you for your Torah. I'd ask that you just uh, be in our discussion tonight. And as we, as we look at your word and we talk about what it means, uh, help us to hear one another and help us to uh, just, I don't know, grow closer to you, Father God. We, I've, I firmly believe that you are in your Torah and that when we study it, you bless us. Mm-hmm. So we ask for your blessing this evening. In Yeshua's name, amen. Oh, like I say, last week we were we had almost finished chapter twenty, and uh, uh, we talked. We spent a lot of time talking about Moses hitting the rock, and how uh, God basically told Aaron and him that they were not going to be able to enter the promised land because of the way they did that. And we talked about that in great detail, and that was a lot of fun. Um, then we talked about Edom. They, you know, we have the map. They were a little louder. Oh. The, they were camped out uh, Kadesh Barnea. I don't have my little pointer, but you can see that, I think. It's up there just a little southeast of the Mediterranean Sea. And they needed to go around. They needed to go through Edom, up through Moab. And above Moab is Ammon. And they'll, from there, they'll cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Um, but anyway, we, we read in chapter 20, starting in verse 14, where they sent the, they got to Edom and they said, uh, you know, we're your brother. Can we pass through? And they said, no, you can't. And then they said, they asked twice, sure, come on now, give us a break. Can we pass through? And they said, no. Went out and stood there with their uh, arms flexed and their shields and everything ready to... to uh, go to battle with them, and they said, you can't go through here. So they ended up having to go down south of Edom and come up through, kind of take a fish hook up around, and they're headed toward Moab at this point. That's where we are in the story. They're headed toward Moab. Um, And we'll start in verse 22, because we didn't, that's where we left off, is in verse 22. Um, Would somebody like to read verse, from verse 22, this is Numbers chapter 20, from (coughs) verse 22 to the end of the chapter. The entirety of the community of B'nai Israel set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. Now at Mount Hor, near the Edomite border, Adonai said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. <coughs> he will not enter the land which I have given to B'nai Israel because you rebelled against my 
command at the waters at Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eliezer and take them up, take them up Mount Hor. Remember, remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, and Aaron will be gathered up <clears throat> and will die there. Moses did as Adonai commanded. They ascended Mount Hor before the eyes of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and placed them on Eleazar, his son. <clears throat> Aaron died there at the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar descended the mountain. When they saw that Aaron had died, the entire community mourned Aaron 30 days. Okay. Um, so the, the, I've already talked about the first question. Where were they and um, where were they going? So what did uh, God tell Moses and Aaron would happen on Mount Hor? Yeah. He, the, the euphemism is gathered to his people. Gathered to his people. Um, what was the reason that Aaron was not to enter the land? God says it again here. Because uh, they struck a rock, which is the other thing we talked about last week. So how old do you think Aaron was about this time, at this time when he died? Yes. 123. Beg your pardon? Moses did, but God, God blamed both of them. It's real clear about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you say 123? That'd be my guess. That'd be your guess. And how and did a half, you, and a half. 123 and a half. Now, how did you come up with 123 and a half? I think he's, Aaron's three years older than Moses, I thought. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty much my analysis. Aaron is older than Moses. We know that Moses was 40 when he left Egypt after killing the Egyptian slave master, and he messed around in the desert for 40 years, and then God told him to go get the Egyptian or go get the Israelites and bring them out when he was 80. And so he brought them out, and uh, they had their problem with the 10 spies, and they've been wandering around the desert for about 40 years, so that's 80 plus 40 is 120. So Moses is approximately 120 here, so Aaron would probably be 123, 125, something like that. So, um, who went up on Mount Hor? Moses. Who else? Eleazar? Eleazar. There's an A in there. Eleazar. Okay, we'll have a discussion about that with respect to Abraham's servant's name someday. Anyway, okay. I'm going to say Eleazar anyway. So Eleazar and Moses and who else? Aaron. And then who came down? Everybody minus Aaron. <laughs> Everybody. In other words, Eleazar and Moses came back down. So... Um, what do you think about this story? John? Oh, I, it, oh, I was just thinking it's like an exchange, exchanging of high priesthood. Yeah, that's exactly really what it is. On. But, but what, what's interesting about the story to you? I'm sure, I mean, I found several things interesting. But don't talk until we give you a microphone. 
Okay. I, I thought it was interesting that they strip him of his vestments and dress Eleazar, his son, in them. Why is that interesting to you? Because it does show a transfer of the priest. Yeah, yeah. Eleazar is going to be the new priest, right. the new high priest. Right. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts? Marvin has something. Big kahuna shift. I think it's interesting, two brothers went up and one came down. That had to bear a lot on, on Moses because he knew, he knew why his brother didn't come down and he mm -hmm. was next. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. I find it interesting that he just dies. He's not sick. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with yeah. him. Boom. Yep. God that, just... That's what I found interesting too. And I found interesting that God told him that. Yeah. Says, uh, you guys uh, take Aaron, go up on the hill, because Aaron's going to die. Yeah. The just, Jews that's, call, boy, that's got to be one of the few times that happens. The Jews call that a holy kiss. Oh. That God kisses you and you die. Okay, okay. well, I want to talk about that <laughs> some more. But I found that uh, to be a very unusual thing. Mm hmm. I don't think so they died because God ordered them uh, give the priesthood to another one. They go and they fall asleep and he picked them. The, the I, I did, you don't think he died? No, because uh, I, I think they, they lay down to, fire, to fall asleep and he picked the spirit for them because he ordered them to go there and he picked them. Uh, he ordered Moses to go to the mountain, we say, because you are done. And he go and he lay down and it's gone. Like, uh, pass away like a sleep. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. Because they say, they say they die. You don't understand where they die. When they're younger, then when they're healthy. I don't think so. They die. They command when they got uh, skin then. They go to the mountain because he's done. He lay down and he's gone. God sends on. So isn't that dying? I think they pass away sleeping. He picked up then to sleep. Okay. He went to sleep and never woke up. Yeah. That's close enough. It's, clo it's almost the same. <laughs> you know, it's not close up. It's the same. That's that, okay. That is when somebody have a, a disease and dying for uh, disease, okay. but they don't have okay. a disease. They okay. sleep and he picked them. Well, that's, that's an interesting point because that was going to bring up my second question. I remember I talked to somebody one time that okay. said, that said, uh, well, you know, I don't know what kind of God you guys believe in. Anybody that would take, take somebody that served him all his life and take him up on a hill and take all his clothes off and come down and leave him there to die, that's not a very loving God. And you could read the story that way if you wanted to, but boy, I'm not going to read it that way because I don't think that's what happened. I think even though Aaron, we don't have, by the way, the Bible always, they only tell us as much as we need to know, you know? So we don't know whether he had some illness or not. He probably did not. A girl is 15 years old. God talked to her, prepared her because he's coming pick her. And when the time is ready, she gave her clothes to tend to all other one. And he lay down and she passed out because she heard the voice. They Tell her, come pick it up. 
Uh, and it's not only here. I, I saw people in El Salvador, they hear the voice and tell them, prepare, and you go, and they, and they go lay down, like you, like me, go lay down, and they don't awake next day. Because okay. they know, they command them. I think Moses did that. Aaron, you mean? Okay. Okay. Um, anyway, go ahead, Polly. Uh, I'm just thinking of what Lucia maybe referring to in a different culture sleeping refers to you're going to wake again and live where dying is you, you're you not are, waking again yeah, yeah. There, there's no more life yeah. there's no more hope of life for you well, the, the phrase that was used here in the beginning of the chapter was when God told him this it says in chapter in verse 23 at Mount Hor near the border of Edom Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron Aaron will be gathered to his people he will not enter the land, but gathered to his people. That's, a, that's been used several times in the Bible. We can go back and find them. But inevitably, gathered to his people means that he died. Well, and here it says Aaron will be gathered in and die there. Mm -hmm. Well, it uses the word die later on in the passage. Right. So, so I mean, the, the thing about death is even if you're sick, then you still go to sleep. I mean, you know, in a sense until the resurrection. So, so it's not like, you know, it, isn't, it doesn't matter whether you're sick or you're not sick. If you die, it doesn't necessarily mean the end. Sure. Well, you know? yeah, for, yeah. So if that okay. was her point, you know, but, but it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're Mark sick. Yeah. yeah, we have every reason to believe Aaron was So healthy. if you look at uh, 1 Kings 2.10, it sheds light on what Polly said. It says, then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Okay. I've often thought of death as, as like sleeping. Yeah. And then the thing is, is we don't know this. I, I prefer to think that Aaron was probably pretty okay with this. I mean, he was old and he was tired. He was probably pretty darn disappointed because Moses is the guy that struck the rock, not him. Right? And so he's, uh, you know what? I don't think this was a, a horrible thing to do to Aaron, to say nothing of the fact that God being the creator can prepare us for the things that we're going to go through. So it's just interesting. It's just interesting that it happened this way, you know? I wonder if he said, but I feel fine. <laughs> well, I was going to say, one of the things, you know, we lived in Etzion Geber on the map there. Etzion Geber is Aqaba today. And we would drive up the road there to Amman, which is above Heshbon, and there are two ways to get there. One way is right up the valley, right to the south end of the Dead Sea, and around the corner, I mean up by the edge of the Dead Sea in that way, and the other way is a little farther to the east. It goes up through the M and Amman and the A and Moab, or Edom, and that's called the King's Highway, and that's referred to here in this section. But um, as you drive up there, in Petra is, well it's on the map there, see Petra right a little bit to the right or left of Edom. Petra, we were up there, there's a, on, as you're looking around up there, there's this mountaintop, and there's this white building on this mountaintop, and we asked what that building was, and that was, according to them, uh, Aaron's tomb. And you could go up to see Aaron's tomb. It would require a, a, a one-day hike. Well, I'm not into one-day hikes, and so I didn't go. But that's, uh, you know, Mount Hor, it's, that's, it may or may not be Aaron's tomb, but it's not geographically far from where it probably was. And the fact that they call that Mount Hor, I think is pretty significant. It always amazes me 
that these places, generally speaking, in the Bible, they're there. It's like I say, this isn't like Narnia. You can go see them. And you could, if you wanted to, go to Jordan. Jordan's a reasonably friendly country, and you could hike up there. But you'd be uh, led around by some Muslim tour guide that would put a whole different cast on this thing. However, you know, the, the Muslims believe Aaron was a prophet. So, yeah. Um, I find it interesting in a couple of different ways that um, in verse 12 he says that they didn't uphold uh, uh, Yehoah as holy, believe in him, and in verse 24 he said they rebelled. Mm -hmm. Now, when you read the text, you don't necessarily see that, oh, they were, didn't hold him as holy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, since uh, God reads the hearts, mm -hmm. if there is a tendency for their heart to start to change mm -hmm. because of being influenced by the congregation, mm -hmm. that would have been something that he would have been acutely aware of. Mm -hmm. So in that case, there would have been grace and mercy involved that the punishment could have been greater. Here, here. Yep. Or, yep. But we, we talked a little about that last week in that... Yeah. Um, what they did wrong, and it was Moses primarily, is God had said, speak to the rock. And Moses said, you know, you, you I'll paraphrase, you turkeys, uh, you know, how come you're always griping? Do I have to beat this rock to get water for you? And he used we. He said, do we have to? And, and you could see what was going on there. You could see the error of what they were doing. And like you say, uh, God has every right, and in the past we can find places where he has judged people that have done that far more harshly. Yeah. Well, I always like to point out, too, Aaron's gotten away with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. When Moses hit the rock, um, the Lord coming mad at him because he hit the rock is the Yeshua's coming because he is the rock. is coming later. And when he hit the rock, he hit Yeshua. That's what. Oh, that's not a bad. Guard. That's that's the way to look at it. Be better than um, That's the mm -hmm. reason they don't go the new land. Mm -hmm. Because he hit it when he supposed to touch it. Fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Does it say in Deuteronomy 32 that Yahweh is my rock? Yeah. I think it's in 32. Yeah. But anyway, Mount Hor exists. Three of them went up there, and two of them came back is bottom line. Uh, but like I say, I, I, I certainly trust God to know what he was doing, and I don't think Aaron had a, had a really difficult time with that. I think, I think he was probably all right with this. Any other thoughts before we move on to chapter 21? Okay, chapter 21. There's a little short section here, the first three verses. Uh, I'll read the first three verses just so we can have them out of the way and we'll talk about them. It says, when the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in, Negev, in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to Yahweh, if you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. Yahweh listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Hormah. Hormah means destruction, right? Okay? So just, um, where did this Canaanite king live? Arad, right? There is a city called Arad. It's on the map there. It's just a little bit uh, west of the Dead Sea. See it? 
And you, you can still see there, it's in Israel today. You can go to Arad. Um, I've been there. Arad is, I mean, if you read down at the bottom of what we just read, it says, they completely destroyed them in their town, so the place was named Hormah. So if that's the real Arad, it's probably just a coincidence because Arad in this passage was destroyed, completely destroyed. But it may be, it could be. And if those were the people that were going to attack the Israelites, where would they, how would they do that? I mean, what direction would they go? East and south. They'd basically have to come south because the, the uh, Israelites were headed from Kadesh Barnea around south of Petra and up, up that way. So they'd have to come down south and southeast, yeah, to get them. Rafi. Um, and... I, you know, I haven't, let me say this. Well, whatever I'm saying, you tell me if it's kind of out of place or not. Okay. But it seems like here, all of a sudden, um, the first thing, all of a sudden they're worked up about certain people being taken. To go to this extreme to make a vow, which also shows in the past they wasn't too obedient, but all of a sudden something that they want, all of a sudden they're going to set... <laughs> standards to you, you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah. all of a sudden it sounds like they do know the rules here yeah. of the you know and but yet only going to want to kind of use them for their benefit yeah. rather than in the past I don't know no no that I could see that point of view I was going to bring up the point of um, um, how do you suppose they knew that this term deliver these people into our hands and we will totally destroy their cities. That's a, a type of vow. That's, a, uh, that's when you devote something to God. That's the... Uh, de yeah, devoted to destruction is what they call it. It's the, the last few chapters of Leviticus talk about that. Um, how do you think they knew that God wanted these people destroyed? Big pardon? He told them. When, when did, you, did he tell them? The whole time, didn't he? The, the whole time? That's, that's a fair answer. I mean, he told... I, the one you could I have done going, this 40 years ago. 38 <laughs> well, years ago. Well, there's that. The, actually, the one I keep going back to is in Genesis chapter 15, where God tells Abraham, you know, I'm going to take you into this land, 400 years from now, I'll take you into this land, and uh, I want, you know, you will need to destroy the Canaanites because the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure yet. So he's, he, this, God is using the Israelites as his instrument of judgment on the Canaanites. Yeah. So just to point out the Hebrew word here, Behakamrati. Behakamrati. What is that one? Well, that's probably the, what you were saying. That's, you know... That type of sacrifice? It, it, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's what I've it never is. been able to pronounce that. So it could. No, so, <clears throat> mm -hmm. so what's the contrast here between these guys and the Edomites? Well, that's a good question. What's the contrast between these guys and the Edomites? Well, first of all, it says about Esau. He says, Yahweh says to him, he says, he's your brother. Yeah. Yeah. And secondly, you know, Esau doesn't attack. They come up to the army to show force, but they don't attack Israel, yep. and they don't take any hostages. Yep. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
So, um, I think there was something written about Eden. I think there was also something written about Esau or Edom's land that it was off limits according to the father for yeah. a particular time. So, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. The, the, the point is, is God knows probably more than any of the Israelites know that Esau, the Edomites, are their brothers. And so he's, 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 he's the grandson of Abram. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, God will, let's see, how can I put it? It would not be within God's character to destroy Jacob's brother. Well, he told, he told Abraham, they're, they're not talking about the Edomites. The people that, in Genesis 15, they're not talking about them. They're talking about all, all these other people. Yeah, yeah. Well, supposedly, that's why Netanyahu is always so nice to Abbas, even though he's, destroyed a lot of Israelites. You know, he just <laughs> killed a lot of people. That's a, that's a thought. But the, he said, he said, you're my brother. Mm -hmm. I've heard him say that before. Yeah. Which is strange. Yeah. I mean, a little bit to me, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pretty good for just a few, few verses here. Want to go on? Would somebody like to read from verse 4 through 9? This is a fun one. Okay. They journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Sea of Reeds to go around to the land of Edom. And the spirit of the people grew short on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why did you bring us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul is disgusted with this insubstantial food. God sent the fiery serpents against the people, and they bit the people. A large multitude of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, <laughs> this is funny, we have sinned. For we have spoken against Hashem and against you. Pray to Yehovah that, we, that he remove from us the serpent. Moses prayed for the people. Yehovah said to Moses, Make for yourself a fiery serpent, place it on a pole, and it will be that anyone who is bitten will look at it and live. Moses made a serpent of copper and placed it on a pole. So it was that if the serpent bit a man, he would stare at the copper serpent and live. Should, do I go on? No, no, that's good enough. Let's okay. talk about the copper serpent for a bit. The, the bronze snake is what mine calls it. That's, there's a lot of stuff in this one, right? Right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, you know, what's happening just in the plain sense. It says they've left from Mount Hor, which is down there south of where the little dot that says Petra is. And they're kind of going southeast to go around Edom. They want to go around Edom uh, so that they don't uh, get them mad at them. And they're heading north. And uh, as they're heading north, the people have another one of their little fits um, where they say, man, you know, why did you have to bring us out of Egypt just to die in this desert? There's no bread and we're sick and tired of this manna. Now, that's got to be what, the fifth, sixth, seventh time we've heard this? What's interesting about this one? What makes this one different? So, like I was going to say, that's nothing new. We heard this, that old song before. Yep. 
But once they get punished, they, it's like, they immediately wait repent. a minute, we did a wrong thing here. Yeah. Moses, can you go to Yahweh and pray for us? We I don't sin. know if that's the first time that's ever happened. Yes, yeah, it says we sin. What, um, what, why would that be the case here? Well, they're not the, they're not the old, old stogies. That yeah, they're not the same people. Stuck mentally in This is the next generation. Egypt. Is the people complain too much when they get out because they don't have a food, they don't have a water, but they have got to do something with them when they get away from Egypt and let them go many years in the desert is because he's clean them. He tried to clean them to eat meat because they eat no kosher food. That's why. They go, they go, but they complain because they miss the meat, they miss the base, they miss a lot okay. of things, it's no good. But uh, I know God try have a kosher people to the new land, but uh, they don't, they can understand that, you know, and they complain and complain and complain and all the peace, okay. the people who pass away, only the, new, the youngers get okay. inside. That's a, that's a fair way to look at it. But right beside John, John. Right, up, 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 up. He's been raiding his hand. You missed him. Um, a couple of things stand out to me. Uh -huh. um, uh, when I was growing up, um, my parents would talk about the good old days. Uh -huh. I never experienced those good old days, yep. but I heard about them. So here you have a generation of people who had never experienced Egypt, but apparently they heard about Egypt yep. as good old days. Yep. So they're crying out for something that they never experienced. That's yep. one. Yep, that's a good point. The second is a question. Between when Aaron died and now, does anybody have a time frame of how much time had passed? Mm -hmm. Well, not exactly. But we established here just a week or so ago that these events, uh, Miriam dying and Aaron dying, and what we're reading now, happened at the tail end of the 40 years. So this is... I don't know, just as a guess. It's sometime 35 years after wandering around in the desert or something like that because most of the time spent wandering around in the desert was when they were in Kadesh Barnea. And it doesn't take up but just a, a couple of sentences in the book of Numbers. It's, they had to wander around the desert for 40 years and they did mm -hmm. that. What they were essentially doing was waiting for that older generation to die off right. because that was the punishment for those guys. They said, you know, we'd rather have you know, died in Egypt than go get killed by these uh, people that are in the these yeah. Canaanites. And so they said, fine, you can die so in the desert. That, that kind of gives you, <laughs> for me anyway, it kind of gives a little bit of insight of the legacy of what was spoken yes. to their children yes. but that's their grandchildren. Yep. In, light, right. in light of what you just said, it's, it's easy to mouth your parents' words about the good old days, but if you haven't experienced them, you may not hold that feeling quite as strongly. And it might, that might have to do with why they repented so quickly. Okay, okay, never mind, just kidding, you know. <laughs> just a thought. The, the one thing I see, and I could be wrong here, but it seems like the people as a collective, how yep. it's being worded, I, at least I would assume, and that may not be this case, but I've seen... Other, I recall other cases where it was usually one group of people yep. or one person, yep. but it seems like it's a collective. Yeah. So yeah. That's there's always... no one's not there's not someone group coming up. Hey, hey, we've gotten we got 
we got slapped before. What are you guys doing? You're, there's, yeah. We don't hear any of that. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that um, in the past they were grumbling and complaining against Moses about, you know, why did you bring us out here mm -hmm. in the wilderness and mm -hmm. to die? But I don't recall them grumbling and complaining against Yahweh. Well, yeah, I think you'll find that they did. They did? Yeah. And then, okay, well, if they did, then the second thing is, then he provided for them. Yes. So he provided them the manna, and now they're saying, your blessing, your gift, what you've given us is not good enough. Yeah. Well, we, ha we hate it. Yes. This is not the first time they've complained about manna. Yeah. Yeah, we can find two or three previous times when they literally said, and we hate this manna. <laughs> so they're not particularly gracious about that. That's true. I think that might have been their fathers, you know. Okay. Okay. But well, that was what I thought was different, so okay. there must be something more. Well, no, that's okay. You're, you're, you're just as good as anybody else. Marvin has something, John. I want to digress a little bit. Okay. When you were, we were talking about why they annihilated the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. If you go back whenever they first, you know, when they sent the, the spies into the land, yep. who did they run into? They ran into the Canaanites. And, they were, and there was giants among them. There were giants among them. Yeah. That's probably the reason they destroyed them. Well, that, that certainly probably had to do with it. But we'll talk more about that because we'll get, uh, but that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, okay, now that we've established kind of the scenario of what's happened, what was God's solution? What did he do here? Serpentine. Serpentine. He, fighting fire with fire. He sent venomous snakes, right? right? Serpents. And they bit them. And many, it says many Israelites died after being bitten by these serpents. And uh, but, so they immediately repented, at least according to the story here. In verse uh, 7 it says, The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against Yahweh and against you. Pray that Yahweh will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So what was, uh, what did Yahweh tell Moses to do? To make a fiery serpent, and uh, meaning a copper, mm -hmm. out of copper, and then put it on a pole, and if they looked at it, they would get better. Yeah. Now this is interesting. It to is. To me, well, well, what, well, I'll let you tell me what you think about that. What, Yeshua? Well, what? we'll go there. We can find okay. the New Testament reference. Right. to this being a picture of Yeshua, but just the idea of doing this. What, is, what does this look like to you? It looks... Symbol of the medical symbol? Well, yeah. that, that's not yeah. what I was... That's good. I, I was, was going to say that too. That, we could go a ways with that. Pat? I think it's a test of faith mm -hmm. on their part Certainly. because... Um, the last thing I'd want to see again if I'd been bit or one of my family members by a snake is to have to look at a snake to get well. Well, that's true. So the trust has to be in a yeah, God who, if point. he said it, yeah. yikes, why couldn't you pick something else? No, if you did, I will accept it. Yeah. Right behind. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, the first thing that comes out is form of idolatry. So oh, me too. I was hoping I wasn't the only guy that thought that. That, that looks like idolatry to me. Why would God ask him to make a symbol, you know, a, a figure, and look at it? Of course, he doesn't say worship it. He says look at it. So, I'm, you know, but I thought, boy, that's a weird thing. 
Uh, that, to me, that didn't seem like similar to other things that God had had, had people do. That was, I thought, the same thing. And I can't recall, I'd have to go see all the other incidences that, that had appeared, but maybe here, maybe, or at least here, he's saying, you know what, <laughs> I'm not just going to give it to you. You're going to have to do something here this mm -hmm. time. You are going to have to take action. I'm just not going to throw it yeah. down. You know, so there's yeah. a little bit more of your healing process here. I'm just not going to give you, you know. Yeah, you have to do something. I'm, I'm, exactly. Yeah. You know, here's the band-aids you put it on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That type thing. Yeah. 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 So let's go to the... Did you have something, John? Are we going to go past six? No, no. I'm not going past it. I wanted to go to the New Testament uh, uh, reference to that whole thing. So let me see if I can find it here. John 3. So if you want to turn to John 3... The book of John, chapter 3. This is about uh, uh, Yeshua and Nicodemus. And if we start, we'll start in the middle of the conversation between Yeshua and Nicodemus in verse 9. And he says, uh, Nicodemus asks, how can this be? In verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, says Yeshua, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So, did, did Dr. Zucchin talk about this? Zucchini, whatever his name was? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you. But no, no, I didn't understand what... He, he says you have to learn, to learn heavenly things, you have to learn earthly things first. Yes. yes. And I thought that was something that was brought up on last Shabbat. Okay, that's good. Uh, it's interesting, I mean, one of the things that's just interesting is the fact that this reference is in here. You know, the fact that uh, uh, John reports that Yeshua said this to Nicodemus. So, obviously, this, uh, this story of the snake is a big deal. And furthermore, he pointed out to how, you know, how he is going to, it was a prophetic thing, and how he himself is going to fulfill the prophecy. Or they're similar. A similar. I'm waiting to see where this goes before okay. I say anything. Okay. Okay. What? Similar. Similar. Yeah. So it seems to be, and I don't know if I have all the connections, but it seems to be the cause of the problem becomes the solution or the atonement in a way. Because if we look back at Aaron and the censors and with the whole thing that happened with Korah, mm -hmm. he had to go with the... It started with the the censers, so it had to end. He was commanded to take the censers and go through the uh, congregation to make the atonement for yep. what was happening. Yep. So I'm I know there's a connection with the cross. Mm -hmm. So the the problem becomes the solution. The cross is the solution that they had to look upon for the atonement. And I'll have to think about this to see the connection a yeah. little bit deeper. Yeah. Still, yeah. that's that's good. 
what I was thinking, it, and I believe it, it is a judgment. It's clearly a judgment. Yes. You know, and I mean, even John Tilt goes on later on in the world to be judged. Yes. So, however it is, that's the simplest part that we can look at, and Messiah being tied to a judgment, a judgment of some sort. Well, and of course, the obvious thing is us looking upon him, mm -hmm. right? And then it's already been mentioned about the faith, you know, the faith aspect of that. So everybody and their brother knows about John 3.16, but the context is this here in Numbers. That's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Well, I was thinking, too, about the verse that keeps coming to my head. Oh, death, where is your sting? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that, you know, he took... It, looking on him makes us not have to see death, the second death. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I was just thinking, you know, death is a sting, mm -hmm. you know, and that, um, I don't know, it's, everybody's going to have to look on him and yeah. see that. Somebody, yeah, everybody's going to have to make an answer. Right. I think one of the more interesting aspects to this whole thing, though, is in Second Kings. Second Kings, turn to Second Kings. Um, Chapter 18. I know all of you are intimately familiar with 2 Kings. 2 Kings is uh, talking about uh, Hezekiah. So I'll read it starting in verse 1. 2 Kings, verse 18, chapter 18. Chapter 18, I'll start at the beginning. In the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. They made it into an idol. They made it into an idol. <laughs> you, you know, that's amazing, isn't it? And so Hezekiah, God, rather than being upset with this, praised Hezekiah for doing it. They had to destroy that. They were using it as an idol. I just thought that was fascinating. John? Kind of a sidebar. Okay, so was that. But go ahead. Well, that's what I heard about. Uh, my friend Uri would say, it said this about Moses. The tradition was he had to die. His, his, his place of death had to be hidden, or, or nobody knows about it, because they would treat it like an idol. They would go there and worship it. Okay, that's an interesting sidebar. That's what my mother always said, too. And not just about Moses, but about even Sinai. Like, them not really knowing what, yeah. where Sinai is. Yeah. You know, because otherwise, we'll just turn it into something we... Yeah, Disneyland. Go crazy. Yeah. Okay, Mark. So you're not going to dig into the serpent, the fiery serpent like we did last year? No, go ahead. So what is the Hebrew word for this fiery serpent? Seraphim. Seraphim, okay. What is seraphim also used for in the scripture? It's used for uh, what, an angel, right? Or a an messenger? angel. Yeah. 
a messenger. So didn't we see a messenger put up on a stake or a pole? Yeah. There's the connection I'm talking about between Yeshua and this fiery angel. Okay. And so it's very interesting to me that, I mean, just to think that you're going to look at a, a real snake and it's bringing something rather than a real angelic messenger or an angel of the Lord who, and you know, this is the one that God sent and, and that's going to bring about something. And it's not, I don't think, coincidental that the Olive Tav standalone is right here in this same verse. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that's interesting about that, and my, my old rememberer is not as good as it used to be, is how did the word seraphim get translated as serpent? Yeah. Wait. Okay, I'm waiting. Wait, Mark's got the microphone, though. Go ahead. So I was just going to bring up... 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Flaming fire. Okay. okay. Well, because it still uses Hanahashim. Hanahashim is serpent. And then Hasarafim is is supposedly the fiery part. Coppery. coppery. Yeah, coppery. Okay. okay. Interesting. Always much more into these things than you think. Technically, it's the, um, the nechashim that can be used, that is used for bronze. And it's this seraphim that is often utilized for a... Uh, um, angel. Okay. So the interesting thing is a lot of times whenever they're looking at something in scripture they'll use a metal or a glass to, just like the sea of glass that they said was at his feet. Mm -hmm. So they're using things that they see and they know as a scriptural bronze would have a flaming very reflective which is what was used at the altar yeah. was the bronze but where the, the fire was going. Where did the serpent come from? From the word seraph, uh, well, the ser the word serpent comes from this seraphim. Okay, but that's never been translated as serpent before, or was it? I would have to look, but the actual Hebrew word in this sentence is seraphim. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, the 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 place I'd want to go. What did, the, what did the place to go, obviously, is back in Genesis chapter 3 or wherever it is, where the serpent was the... Nakash. Nakash, yeah. But that's not this. It's not this. Yeah, there is association with those words, though. It's, it's interesting. Okay. okay. We can... Yeah. Nakash is what the, it's a, actually a verb turned to a noun or something like that. Okay. Well, that's deeper than I am. Let's go on. Um, would someone like to read, are there any other comments? I don't think so. Would somebody like to read from verse 10 through 20? 
Oh, yay. Alfonso. Oh, Alfonso. And the children of Israel departed and camped in Oboth. And they departed from Oboth and camped at Il Habarim, in the wilderness which is east of Moab toward sunrise. From there they departed and camped at Wadi Sered. From there they departed and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of the battles of Yahuwah, Wahi and Sufa, the Wadi Arnon, and the slope of the Wadi that turns aside to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. And from there on, on to Be'er, which is in the well where Yahuwah said to Moshe, gather the people and let me give them water. Israel then sang this song, spring up, O well, sing to it. The well, the leaders sang, which the nobles of the people dug by hacking with their staffs. Then from the wilderness on to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel to Bamath, and from Bamath in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, the title of that little section in my Bible says the journey to Moab. So we're talking about the Israelites moving from kind of the end of the word Edom up there to the word Moab. All right. That's, that's the path that they're talking about here. Um, some of these, I wanted to say at least a little bit about in terms of a travel log. You know, the, the Dead Sea is sitting there, the lowest spot on planet Earth, over a thousand feet below sea level. And on both sides of it, but even more dramatically, on the east side of the Dead Sea, it rises to a plateau very quickly. And there's a good 4,000 feet between the top of that plateau and the Dead Sea. Um, and from the top of that plateau, you can look out and see the Dead Sea all the way from one end to the other. And you can see the mountains of Jerusalem. And if it were ever clear enough, I guess you could even see the Mediterranean, but it, I've never been there when it was clear enough to see that. But anyway, that's, that's where they're going. They're going up there and they're camping out. Pisgah is, is a mountaintop on this plateau. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting is, you know, you drive on either one of those roads, or the, the road that was most notable for me was that went along the, uh, the east side of the Dead Sea, and you drive across this little bridge, and the sign clearly says the Zered River, and you drive a little farther, and one that says the Arnon River, so those rivers are there, and they're still running. Uh, when you take the road in the middle of the, that road is down low, when you take the high road, and you go up on that plateau, and you get to the, one of these river gorges. I don't remember who it was, the Zered or the Arnon. It is notable because you're on this high plateau, and there's no, nothing up there to speak of, little villages here and there. And you start this really snaky thing down to the bottom, and it's, it's got to be six or eight miles down to the bottom of this thing on the road. And then there's a bridge about 20 feet long with this little creek run through it, and then you go clear the other side, 20 or so mile all the way to the top, and it's like if they just built a six mile bridge, you could be there. But uh, that, that's a, those both, the Arnon River Gorge and the Zared River are amazingly interesting features. And so Moab and some Amorites, we'll see, lived up there on that plateau, essentially. 
I thought you ought to know that. But these aren't one of the listed Canaanites. The Amorites are. I mean, the Moabites. The Mo who are the Moabites? We've been here before, but who are the Moabites? A lot. A lot. A lot. There are a lot. There are a lot of Moabites. Yeah. They're, they're, they're descendants of Lot, right? They're the offspring, the descendants of the offspring of Lot and one of his daughters. And the Ammonites, the ones to the north there that aren't shown, are the descendants of the offspring of Lot and his other daughter. I just, it's kind of a sidetrack here, but it's interesting because you're talking about that plateau, and most likely those people uh, from past generations, because things would have got passed on, you know, yeah. right? They would have heard from their grandparents all the way back, we saw the cities of the plains get destroyed yeah. down there. So they would have saw Sodom and Gomorrah and I, what, another three yeah. get yep. destroyed. So, and well, they had bird's eye view of that. Oh, yeah. You betcha. As a matter of fact, I, I bet I've told this story before. But again, when you're driving the low road down there that goes up by the Dead Sea, you drive through this little village called Zoar. Zoar is the same one that's listed in Genesis. There's even a sign that says Lot's Cave. Isn't you, can, Petra, you can drive up to Lot's sorry. Cave if you want. And I did that one day, and there was some old guy up there that was uh, wanting money to give me a tour of this cave. And I said, well, I don't think so. And uh, so we were getting back in the car, and there's this big, it looked like an anthill over here. And he says, you know what that is? I says, no. And he says, that's Lot's wife. <laughs> I had to laugh. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty sure that wasn't who. I didn't even look like her, you know. <laughs> Isn't Petra the place, though, where, they, where it's rumored or whatever that God, you know, they say that when God hides the, you know, it, he hides the people yeah. from Yah that... that in, in the end times, that's where he'll hide his people. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is... I don't know that it's rumored. You can find some scripture that vaguely returns yeah. to it. There are some of the cities that are up there on the, the plain. Uh, Madaba is one of them. You, you read about them in scripture. And those cities are still there. Not all of them, but some of them sure are. Anyway, did, you, did anybody find anything particularly interesting in this uh, passage about the journey to uh, Moab? The one thing I saw that's, uh, where was it? Something about the lawgiver is mentioned here. 18. And I just thought that was interesting how. It says, then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well, sing about it, about the well that the princes dug and that the nobles of the people sank, the nobles with scepters and staffs. Now yours may say something different. I have lawgiver in there. Okay. Which would be Moses. Yeah. Well, there, there's a couple of references to that that bug me. It says, uh, you know, verse 16 says, From there they continued on to Beer. Now, Beer is the Hebrew word for well. So there they continued on to the well, where Yahweh said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Now, is that referring to that same incident that we read earlier about, where, yeah, where he whacked on the rock rather than speaking to it? I don't know. That's what verse do you want? Verse uh, 8, 16. 16. Well, and another, another cryptic thing is, what is the book of the wars of Yahweh? Yeah. So in the King James it says beer. Beer as well. 
So they were looking for beer, not water. That's why they were angry. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, now it all makes sense. Thanks for Clear, that Clearly, up. that's the clearly problem. Right yeah, yeah. Um, Rocky Mountain Coors or something. Let's see this. This book of the wars of Yahweh. Um, this is the only mention of the book in the whole Bible, and there are several other books that are mentioned in Scripture that aren't in Scripture. So I don't know that anybody knows what that really is. It could be lots of different things, I suppose. It's, I wrote, the note I had here was that it's believed to be a collection of war songs that were passed down orally and finally written down for preservation, of which verses 17 and 18 are one. Well, in the King James, it says, Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. Again, it looks like they're talking about worshiping or singing to something. Yeah. Rather than, it's yeah. kind of an odd. Yeah, it's odd. <laughs> We're going to find out about that okay. when we get there. So you want to move on? Boy, we're doing great. Um, verse 21, let's see how far we can go. Well, let's read all of, from verse 21 to the end of the chapter. And we'll come back and, and dismember it, because there's quite a bit here, but there's no good place to stop. Well, actually, we can stop at the end of verse 30. Would somebody like to read from verse 21 to verse 30? Okay. You're quick on the draw. Israel sent emissaries to Sihon, king of the Amorite, saying, Let me pass through your land. We shall not turn off to field or vineyard. We shall not drink well water. On the king's road shall we travel until we pass through your border. But Sihon would not permit Israel to pass through his border. And Sihon assembled his entire people and went out against Israel to the wilderness. He, he arrived at Yahaz and waged war against Israel. Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land. When Ammon said to Yabuk, to the children of Ammon, for the, for the border of the children of Ammon was powerful. Israel took all the cities, and Israel settled in all the Amorite cities, in Heshbon and all its suburbs. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorite, and he warred against the first king of Moab and took all the land from his control from Arnon. Regarding this, the poets would say, come to Heshbon and let it be built and established as a city of Sihon. For the fire has come forth from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar at Moab, the masters of Arnon's heights. Woe to you, O Moab, you are lost, a people of Hemosh. And he made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives of the king of the Amorites, Sihon. Their sovereignty over Heshbon was lost. It was removed from Dibon, 
and he laid waste of Nephah, Nephah, which reaches to Medeba. Okay. That, that's good. That good? Let, let's okay. talk about that for a few minutes just so we'll know. There's, there's three groups of people we have to deal with other than the Edomites. Now, we've discovered how the Edomites are kind of special because they're close, well, they're distant relatives, let's say. The other two groups, there's the Moabites and the Ammonites, and the Moabites and Ammonites are relatives of Lot, you know, offsprings of Lot. And then the third group you, you read here is the Amorites. Now, it's really easy when you're reading through here, especially with Amorites and Ammonites, to get them confused because there's just a, a couple of letter difference, you know. But um, just so you know, the Edomites are to the south, the Moabites are there where they're shown, and above them to the east are the Ammonites, and then above them uh, straight north and maybe a little west are the Amorites. And the Amorites, it talked about the border between the Moabites and the Amorites was the Arnon River. And the Arnon River flows into the Dead Sea. Okay? Um, so, what's happening here? The Israelites wander up, and they've, they've gone as far north as uh, Edom, and I guess they've even kind of gone through Moab. Moab, if you read between the lines here, is kind of in bad shape because the Amorites just got through beating up on them and taking a bunch of their land. Okay? So, but they're camped out up there. So they, don't, they don't put up a fight, right? The Moabites don't tend to. Nope. And they're kind of brothers, they're cousins anyway. So. Well, they're kind of cousins anyway, but they, I, I gather they're either not good at it or outnumbered, one of the two. Anyway, um, so the, the Israelites, in order to get north there and cross the, the Jordan River into the land that God promised them, need to go through the Amorite territory. And so they say, um, let us pass, they go to the king of the Amorites, Sihon, and they say, let us pass through your country, we'll not turn aside to any field or vineyard, we won't drink your water, Travel along the King's Highway. By the way, that highway is still today called the King's Highway that you can travel up there um, until we pass through your territory. But Sihon wouldn't let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army, marched into the desert against Israel, and when he reached Jahaz, which, or Jahaz, it's not on there. It's, it's one of those northern cities up there. He fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land from Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites because their border was fortified. So the Arnon was the southern border there with Moab. Does anybody remember the river Jabbok? This is the one that uh, Jacob comes back yep. on. When Jacob comes back and meets, and meets Esau, Esau it's, uh, the Jabbok River runs into the Jordan River. It's north of the Dead Sea. It's not shown on the map, but if that map were just like an inch taller, you could see the Jabbok River. So it's that area of land there and to the north there um, where Israel put him to the sword and took over his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites. Now the Ammonites are off to the east, and it says because their border was fortified. So in other words, they had, they had uh, a fence, <laughs> and they wouldn't let people, people cross. So it says, verse 25, Israel captured all the cities of the Amorites and occupied them, including Heshbon and its surrounding settlements. So Heshbon is on the map there. It's very, very top. See it up there? Um, Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, 
who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken from him all his land as far as the Arnon. So the Amorites are kind of warlike people and they've just gotten too beaten up on the king of Moab. Who we're going to run into next chapter. Yeah. So is it fair to say that the descendants of Abraham, Israel, took, uh, delivered revenge from their cousin, the descendants of Lot? Yeah, it could be. That's, that's yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. It could also be said that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy that are the, yeah, the prophecy that God gave to Abraham way back in Genesis 15 when he says, I want you to get rid, destroy the Amorites, among others. There was the Jebusites and on and on and on. But the Amorites were in the group. And he said, the Amorites, but you're not doing it for 400 years because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. But, but in, the, in those chapters there, he rescues Lot. Yes. I think 19 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that's true. All this stuff ties together. It's amazing, you know? So anyway, I wanted to make sure and explain that a little bit. Um, so I, I answer all the questions. I should let you do that. One of the things I wanted to point out is prior to this, how successful had the Israelites been in all their uh, military activities? Well, we don't know of any. Well, we, we, yeah, we read about just one when they... they the Amalekites? Came, no, the, when Arad, the king of Arad came down just recently, just tonight, came down and they prayed and said, you know, if you'll deliver them into our hand, we'll destroy them. And God did. But that, I believe, was probably the first. Yeah. But he said that if the, they defeated the casting at descendant from Abraham. Um, they defeating everyone because the only uh, descendant from Isaac have the promise. You know, the other descendant from Abraham, they don't have the promise. That's why when they go conquer, they defeated all the people because they had the promise God gave it to them. Okay. Well, they did defeat the Amalekites when they first came out. Yeah, but it wasn't a very... It um, wasn't extensive. It, well, it, and it wasn't decisive because the Amalekites continued to bug them. Well, yeah, they didn't totally wipe them out, which... They were told to yep. do. All I was going to point out with that is that this second generation of Israelites tends to have become a better military force than the first. You know, they, they've actually gone to battle and won rather than fighting defensive things and whatever. They, uh, it says here, they, Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land. Then it goes on. Yes, Mark. We need to be like them. So Numbers um, 21, 1 through 3, the Canaanites, they won. Numbers 21, 21 through 35, Amorites, Bashan, they won. Numbers 31, one through eight, Midianites, they won. Okay. So this is where they began to do that. It's right in here. Is where they, they started becoming victorious as a military power. 
Now before, you know, John, I think it was you that talked about how uh, the people that lived up on that plateau could look down and see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. You can see long distances around this area. You know, you get, you get to the proper location and you can see forever. And this group of several million people have been wandering around in the desert out there for 40 years. And all these people around have got to know they're there. You know, you can't miss something like that. And so most of them are trying to figure out what they're doing and whether or not they ought to be afraid of them. So it's, uh, there's a lot, a lot going on here that you just kind of have to assume because of what's they made what's them not said. They made them sweat for 38, 40 years. <laughs> well, what are these guys going to do? Yeah, what are they going to do? When are they going to make their move? Yeah, yep. Then there's this poem, verse 27 through 30. says, this is why the poets say, Come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt. Let Sion's city be restored. Fire went out from Heshbon and ablaze to the city of Sihon, and it consumed Ar of Moab and the citizens of Arnon's heights. That sounds like Moab. That, that, that sounds like the Amorites taking over the part of Moab. Woe to you, O Moab, you have destroyed. You are destroyed, O people of Chemosh. He has given up on the, his sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to the king, Sion, king of the Amorites. But we have overthrown them. Heshbon is destroyed all the way to Dibon and demolished them as far as Nophah, which extends to Medabah. So I think this is a, just a description of, uh, of both the Amorite destruction or uh, defeat of Moab, but also the Israelite defeat of the Amorites. But the thing I found interesting, I'm always interested in Verse 29, it says, You are destroyed, O people of Kamosh. Uh, I think Moab, based on this sentence, is the people that he's talking about. So that would say, Do you know who Kamosh is? Does anybody know who Kamosh is? Kamosh? Do you know who Kamosh is? Kamosh was this one of the horrible Canaanite gods where they would sacrifice babies. You know, sacrifice infants too. It, it was, you know, you didn't even want to talk about it. it was, he was, it's got to be one of the reasons that God had, had decreed destruction for this, these people is because of that kind of depravity. And so it would indicate here that Moab was that kind of a, it was either the Moabites or the Amorites, one of the two, that was into this people, a people of Kamosh. Yeah, they reference Moloch in First Kings. Moloch, yeah. The interesting thing about the battles is all the way from Genesis, as a people, the only two battles they lose are against the Amalekites because God told them not to go fight. Yep. And the uh, um, AI because they kept the, the booty that they were told not to touch. Yep. Yep. Well, not, the Amalekites, wasn't that after they were judged not to, not to enter the land? Yeah, that's what he's talking about. Well, that, yeah, that's like... No-brainer. Yeah, it's rebellion <laughs> after you rebuild. Rebellion, rebellion, so rebellion. The bottom line on that, then, is they've, they've won most every battle they've been in. Yeah. Which remains true. Yeah. Anyway, that was kind of a... Yeah. That was kind of a, uh, an intricate thing we read about. But the main... You'll hear a lot about the Sihon. Sihon 
the king of the Amorites, or Heshbon, and we're coming up to the next one here in a minute, that uh, another king of the Amorites that gets beat up. I was wondering if there are any other comments about that. Okay, so would someone like to read from uh, verse 31 to the end of the chapter? So Israel was living in the land of the Amorites. After Moses sent spies to Dazer, they captured her towns and drove out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up the road to the Bashan. Og, king of the Bashan, went out to confront them. He and all his people in battle at Edrai. Adonai said to Moses, do not fear him. I have given him with all his, with all his people and his land into your hand. You are to do to him just as you did to Sihon, the Amorite king who was living in Heshbon. So they struck him and his sons and his entire army until no survivor was left to him, and they possessed his land. Okay, so north of the of uh, Heshbon and Sihon the king were some more Amorites, Og and Bashan. And so they were, they were on a roll, so they just kept going north, right? And God told them in verse... Uh, They're literally off the map. <laughs> this, <laughs> yep. Uh, verse 34 says, Do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So, same song, second verse. The Israelites went up and basically wiped out the Amorites that were up, up north there and destroyed them completely and took over all their towns in the land. Was Og an ogre? Og an ogre, ogre. A big ogre? I bet he was. I bet he was. Anyway, um, this, the reason I think, one of the reasons it talks about this is because this land becomes important. This, uh, this land, we, I don't want to, you know, we'll, we'll get to it later. Is this for the Gadites and the Reubenites? Yeah. And the part of the 12 tribes of Israel end up staying on this land. This is, even though this is not the stuff that God really had intended for them, well, that's debatable. Let me not say it that way. Even though this land was east of the Jordan River, and it was commonly understood that Israel was supposed to be west of the Jordan River, uh, three of the tribes, two and a half of the tribes, uh, of Israelite tribes, liked it and stayed on it. And God basically said, okay, fine. So I didn't really follow much of the questions I had here, but um, let me just ask if you have any thoughts about um, what we've read here with uh, Sihon, the king of uh, Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan. So none of these guys are interested in making a peace or anything like that, it seems. Well, the Amorites are not. The Amorites what about these guys? Are not. It just says, go take them, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, it started off, though, where uh, it, back in the beginning of in verse 22, uh, the Israelites go to him and say, let us pass through your country. We'll not turn aside. And they not only say no, 
they mustered the army and went out and marched into the desert against Israel. So they tried to just pass through the country, and they said, no, nah, we're beating you up. We'd rather do that. Yeah. So this is interesting in thir verse 32. It just casually says, and Moses sent to spy out Jezir, yeah. whatever it is. Yep. So these spies, I'm assuming that's what he meant. He spent, sent spies out. Sure. Like he did before. Yep. Which got him in a whole bunch of trouble. Yep. So, uh, again, these guys have a serious mind shift attitude from their, their parents. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly no record of 10 of them coming back saying, oh, they're oh my God. Over there. Yeah, right. No, they, they obviously went out and said, no, that's we can take this. That's true. If, if that was such a big deal, you think he would show, you think the kind of would say that again? Like, yeah. we're, we're as grasshoppers in, but we don't care. We got God on our side. We'll take him. Yeah. It, Maybe suggesting that they were embellishing the story. I don't know. The original spies? Perhaps. Could be. But it certainly wasn't a problem in this case. Like I say, in my opinion, this is where Israel becomes a force to reckon with. You know, before then, they were just a bunch of slaves that had escaped from Egypt and were wandering around the desert. But now they're actually starting to be able to do something. Forty years in the desert will do that yeah, to you. Forty years in the desert will do that. Boot camp. Well, we're going to even find out in Deuteronomy why God had them go through those 40 years. Didn't, weren't they told that everywhere where their foot touched, they could claim? Wouldn't that have begun long before this yeah. so that that would apply I, to... I, yeah, but I think that was told to just one guy. I don't think that was told to all the Israelites. I may be wrong. You can go prove me wrong on that. I think it was just one person who God said, everywhere your foot touches will be yours. I well, the reason that I'm wondering about that is that when they look in the area where they, the Israelites travel, there's multiple pairs of footprints, which wouldn't imply only one man. No, it would not. Well, you're, you're, that's a good point. It'd be nice to know more. I'd like to know more about that. So, question, wasn't Og supposed to be one of the giant guys, yep. one of the big guys? Yep. I think it was Og. It was one of those guys, yeah. Uh, yeah. Had a, a bed that was nine foot long. Yeah. Thirteen. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> 16, well, 13. okay, what a very long bed. Very long bed. Uh, I guess I, that's coming up somewhere in the not-too-distant future here. It's, it's in here somewhere. Yeah, let's see. It was 16 feet long. Uh, Deuteronomy 311. Every time I tell the story. Deuteronomy 311 talks okay. about that. And also, uh, Deuteronomy 8:9 says that Israel was described as the land whose stones are iron, and it's referring to meteoric iron rock. Ah. Iron was extremely rare in those days. Sure. And more valuable than gold, literally. And since it was meteoric, it was regarded as a gift from heaven. So a symbol of power and a symbol of a connection to the mm -hmm. celestial so plane. So his, his really bed was are, made of iron. They it's, really are God's people. Right. Yeah, he gave them the iron. That's good. Well, if there's uh, we're not done yet. We have five minutes. We can't get very far into it, but it would probably be good to at least read 
part of 22. Because 22, chapter 22, starts a three or four chapter section about Balaam. And Balaam's one of the coolest guys in the whole book of Numbers. I mean, cool, not like great, but cool, like interesting. Alfonso. Way to make old John work. So I'm gathering here, it's like the same song, but different story. When they told him to go uh, spy out the land, I guess the Canaanites. Uh-huh. And then they came back, ooh, no, we're like, gra- they're like, yeah, yeah. We're like grasshoppers. But here, they spied them out. They had a different heart about it. They just went and did it without complaining. Yeah, number one, they went and did the complaint. It says the Israelites, they sent spies. The Israelites captured its surrounding settlements and drove out the Amorites over there. So they basically came back and uh, this is what you'd expect spies to do. Say, well, there's a city here. There's a city here. There's one over there that's not protected. And so they just went and... Don't overthink it. Just do it. Yeah, yeah, right. Don't overthink it. Don't give me any of this grasshopper stuff. Just tell me where the keys to the city are. Is there anything else? Okay, so as... Oh, Margaret's got something. I guess they were on a winning streak. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely on a winning streak. Um, on um, 34, uh-huh. uh, Yahweh tells Moses, fear, fear not. And, and I'm sure they had that in mind, you know, with, sure. the, with all the wins they had and the victories. They're probably thinking, yeah, this is, this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. let's see. That's a good point. Back when we first started tonight, you know, we read the section about uh, when they, uh, they engaged in battle, they were attacked by the, who was it? The king of Arad, right? And, and they went to God and they said, if you will deliver them to us, we'll completely destroy them for you. And God said, okay, yeah. that's what I'd like. And so he did. So I guess my point is, is I'm agreeing with you in saying that maybe they've learned that they need to have God engaged in the battle with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So let's see. Let's, we'll read. This is, I'm going to enjoy doing this. We'll read through the first 20 verses of chapter 22, but then we won't talk about them. Yeah, we'll read them and not talk about them. And you guys have to spend all week thinking about them. Yeah. So, so who you, wants to, who wants, do you want to read them? I'll read. Good. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all the Israelite had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, now shall this country lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of the Moabites, at that, oh, and Balak, the son of Zippor, the, was king of the Moabites at that time. Verse 5. And he sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Petor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt, and behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, 
Curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I woe that we whom thou blessed, blessest is blessed, and we whom thou and we and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of a divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as, the, as Yahweh shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And Adonai came unto Balaam and said, What are these, uh, what men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And uh, God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, and thou shalt not curse the people. They are blessed. Where am I going to? Uh, the end of uh, 20, through 20. Verse 13. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for Yahweh refuses to give me uh, leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. And Balak sent ye yet again, princesses, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam, and they said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto a great honor, and I will do what whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of Yahweh my Elohim to do less or more. Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what Yahweh will say unto me more. Verse 20. And uh, God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. Okay. So the assignment's to go home and think about that. Right? And we'll talk about this. I mean, part of the fun of this is trying to figure out what kind of guy... Balaam really is. And from this section, it's uh, not easy to tell. Any other final thoughts? Okay. Uh, I'll close in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the interesting evening. Thank you for the discussion. Thank you for uh, blessing us with the conversation. I ask that you just help us to think on these things as we go through our week. Help us to... Uh, just come to a better understanding of how much you love us and how you'd like us to behave. And I just thank you for blessing us with your Torah. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much. See you next week. Thank you, Jerry.